Good morning, everyone. This morning we are in Exodus 31, and I think we have quite an interesting discussion ahead of us. So this is instructions now. Moses is still up on the mountain getting instructions for the tabernacle. He has still not come down to give these instructions to Israel. He's been away for a while, uh, and we're going to see some remarkable events in the next chapter. But in these final instructions of the tabernacle, before Moses comes down, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and in bronze. And in, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I have put, I have appointed him with Oliab, the son of Ahazamach, of the tribe of Dan, in the hearts of all who are skillful. I have put skill that they may all that I have, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the mercy seat upon it and all the furniture of the tent, the table, and also its utensils and the pure gold <clears throat> lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver and its stand, the woven garments as well and the holy garments for Aaron the priest and with the garments of his sons with which to carry on their priesthood, the anointing oil also, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, they had to make them according to all that I have commanded you. So it's kind of a summary of all the things that were going to be made, but what's super remarkable here is how God has gifted people in wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, in all kinds of craftsmanship, perfuming, oil making, making of garments, and I tell you what, what a what a relief and blessing this would be to Moses. Imagine this task of all these details of all these things that need to be made. And then now you're going to come down off the mountain and like Moses as a leader has got to execute like getting this all done. And some of this would seem overwhelming. I mean, who knows if Moses had any of these skills, right? <clears throat> so when he eventually comes down and when they get their act together, you know, to have these gifted people because for these guys, it's like, oh, yeah, I can do that. That's not a problem, Moses. Let me take care of that. And with their amazing skills, they can they can do these things. And, man, I just love it. You know, this this is gets into a much broader discussion that I think is quite interesting. And that is, you know, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus today? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus today? What does it mean to be a believer that's serving God's kingdom today? And it seems like maybe that's an easy question, but actually it's quite complex when you think about it. I've been studying discipleship over my lifetime, but um, I studied it intently from a very intensive Jesus-modeled approach uh, 15 years ago and kind of put that aside, so to speak, as I've been focusing on my church ministry and now am revisiting all of that. And it's interesting to think about this. 
when Jesus was walking the earth, there was no church. Jesus was Emmanuel. He was God with us. And he had a limited time to do his ministry. I mean, he started his ministry around age 30. He was dead by about 33. And then, of course, ascended and rose from the dead. And hallelujah, praise the God. But his ministry was short-lived. Um, and sometimes I think that had a significant impact on his discipleship to his 12 men. And sometimes he was like, you know, you got to come follow me right now and leave everything and follow me. I'm only going to be here for a short time, right? So his ministry, without even a church existing, there's no church at that time, was traveling about with 12 men, them following him, learning from him, imitating him. Jesus was on an itinerant mission, meaning he didn't have necessarily a home church or base, but rather was traveling around doing his ministry all over the place. And these men learned from his example, and then he uh, commissioned them before he you know, went to heaven, he he gave them, he went, sent them out two by two so they could practice on their own and come back and report to him their skills and how they did. And then eventually, you know, he met them up out on the mountain and said, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, what's interesting and what I focused on many, many years ago is that, you know, Jesus modeled for them how to make disciples um, in this three-year commitment of on-the-job training. And then he said, go make disciples. And you would think that they would think, well, what Jesus did for us is what we need to do. Um, it worked. I mean, they he trained them well. <clears throat> and now you would think that they would model after what he did. However, there's really very little evidence they did. Meaning the apostles, yes, they served God all the way to the end. And uh, it, it seems to be from records uh extra biblical records that they were martyred for their faith. So they died serving Jesus. However, there's not a record of them getting 12 men, each of those 12, you know, Judas obviously took his life, but say the 11 taking, getting 12 men and traveling about doing an itinerant traveling ministry like he did. And if you look at another leader of the church, who wasn't one of the 12, but the apostle Paul who came alongside a little bit later he definitely had guys he ministered to, like Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus and Epaphras and Silas, Barnabas, you know, a lot of guys that Jesus or that Paul ministered to, but he was more on a church planning mission. So they would partner with him. They would go to cities with him. Sometimes he would leave them behind. Sometimes he would send them ahead. Sometimes like Titus was instructed to go uh, get elders to develop churches so it, it it had some similarities to Jesus's mission, but very different too, because now we're in the church age and churches are being planted. And and then if you were to look at the churches, so like, let's say everyone was to do exactly what Jesus did and find 12 people to follow after them for three years doing on-the-job training ministry, which is what Jesus did, um, you would expect to see that in the churches. So if we view the churches of Philippi and Ephesus and um, Corinth and, you know, all these places where Paul did ministry, do we have any record that the people of those churches went on an itinerant mission and each of the men of the church found 11 men to follow them and they went about and did ministry on the job training with people following them? And actually, we don't see that, right? So now when we say, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does that mean? Does it mean like Jesus did? Or 
does it mean more like what happened in Paul's day or can we just make it up for ourselves? Do you see what I'm saying? It, it, it like, I, I'm probably like, this is going way beyond maybe what some of you think about, but it's what I think about because when Jesus said, go make disciples, what does he mean? What does he want us to do? And I have a definition that, you know, a working definition, meaning not a final definition, but uh, something that I'm exploring and want to add more to. Uh, I'm probably going to be writing about this, not necessarily like a book, but uh, more of a thesis. But anyways, the disciple is a born-again follower of Jesus who is steadfast in knowing Jesus through his word, earnest in becoming like him through spirit, and who is a fellow worker in building up the body of Christ. So first of all, we're supposed to be more like Jesus, right? So we have to know him, and now he's revealed himself through his word. So we've got to be steadfast in knowing who he is through his word. Otherwise, how can we even begin to become like one we don't know? Uh, It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Secondly, earnest in becoming like him through spirit. So once we know him, knowledge is great, but knowledge is there to help shape us into his image, to become a greater reflection of who Jesus is to this world, becoming more like our Lord and Savior. So we need to be earnest and commitment committed to that, that I want to look more like him, not just know about him, but have that knowledge of who he is, uh, take on more of his character, his fruit of the spirit. So earnest in becoming like him through spirit. And then finally, and who is a fellow worker in building up the body of Christ. And that could be a long discussion, but I'll make it short. You know, did you realize that the word disciple in the epistles is it, it, it vaporizes, it's gone. You don't see it in the letters to Philippi, Corinth, Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians. You don't see it in Peter's letters. You don't see it in John's letters. After you get past the gospel, and it's mentioned a few times in the book of Acts, the word disciple disappears. It's That's interesting, isn't it? Uh, but Paul in particular brings up this word fellow worker. And he ends up talking about building up the body of Christ. And so people who are partnering and building up the body of Christ, that is more the term in the church age that's used by the Apostle Paul. Now, why do I bring all of this up right now? Because what I'm seeing in in this tabernacle building that's about to take place is that there are men of God who are gifted by God and being used for God's glory. In in chapter 31, like we just read, they've been given these special gifts to use their hands, and they're using it for the glory of God. And I believe they're honoring the Lord, right? I mean, these these people who are going to carry on the building of this tabernacle, uh, I, I, I believe they're doing God's will, right? But yet it's not necessarily what we would think of normally when we think of well, be a disciple of, of Jesus, so to speak. We we think of maybe evangelism or Bible study or something like that, but these men are using their hands. So now what am I trying to say? They're, I'm saying these guys are fellow workers in building up the body of Christ right here. So they are serving God. Now, what does that mean? Because does that mean that, you know, if any of us has a skill or we like to serve, we like to help, that that means that we're a disciple. Well, to a certain extent, yes. And to a certain extent, I'd say no. I mean, when I look at our church, uh, you know, the church I lead, there are men who step up in so many ways and women, by the way, 
who step up in so many ways and serve the church. I mean, we have multiple buildings at our church, some of them that we rent out. And, you know, that means there's multiple furnaces, roofs, central air units, you know, gutters, uh, you name it. There's always something to be done. And we have people that step up all the time and are serving. There's also a lot of things to clean and fix and repair and paint and carpet to clean or, or whatever the case may be in order to keep the church functioning. And people step up and serve. And and I think, yes, man, these men and women who serve in these ways, they're, they're, they're honoring the Lord. You know, that's one of the, the main ways that God uses some people is uh, he's given the gift of service or the, the gift of craftsmanship. And they, they use their skills in that way. Hallelujah. Now, could we be like, well, I'm going to do that. And therefore, I'm not going to grow in the knowledge of the word or I'm not going to grow in becoming like him or I'm not going to care about my neighbor. Or, you know, I'm not going to care about reaching people. No, I I see. Now, that would be a problem, right? If we said, well, I'm only going to do this one thing and I'm not going to, you know, serve God in any other way or I'm not going to read the Bible or that would be that would be wrong and that would be bad, right? Like, that's not true. But yet some people's discipleship or ways they serve God is going to look different than mine or different than yours because we're different people and we have different skills. And I think, you know, how my statement ends, I'm going to read it again. A born-again follower of Jesus who is steadfast in knowing Jesus through his word. Are you doing that? Are you steadfast in that? Are you earnest in becoming like him in spirit? Are you trying to become more like your Lord? We should be. And then finally, and who is a fellow worker in building up the body of Christ? I think that's where, you know, there's going to be a great diversity of what it means to be a fellow worker in building up the body of Christ. There's a lot of different ways to be a fellow worker in building up the body of Christ. Now, I don't think we should have it be just one exclusive way and kind of check that box and move on. But yet, again, based on our gifts, it's going to look different for different people. So I'm I'm still working on this. Um, you know, it's interesting in Christianity, one of the things we don't have, and it's beautiful, but it's also maybe challenging at times. We don't have a lot of summary statements. And for those of you who know me and my preaching, I think we have to be careful with them because if we summarize the Bible up into one summary statement, well, if that summary statement doesn't include things that God wants us to learn, we could be like, well, I'm just going to go based on the summary. And then we could ignore important things that are there biblically. But that's one of the things Christianity doesn't really have is we don't have summary statements. Um, we don't have a place where Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what, let me boil this all down and let me put it in about five sentences. Really, this is it. You know, you could say, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's probably one of the, the better summary statements we have. But even that summary statement, as good as it is, it would leave some things off. So uh, we just don't have that typically. And uh, Sometimes, again, we can create it erroneously, but yet sometimes it's helpful to have some kind of guide. You know, uh, there's been people over the years who have developed, you know, what it means to be a disciple, uh, like the navigators have have done that. Um, other people throughout history, we've studied some of the people, you know, say from 300, when I say study, it's things that I've done outside of this, but you know, over the last 2000 years, how did different sects, denominations, people <clears throat> uh, create systems of helping people along in their journey of faith and kind of give ways to 
give a summary of what it looks like to follow Jesus and and they can be helpful. So I'm kind of I'm kind of working on it too, but uh I, I want to be careful and be humble because I think sometimes we can love our own our own summaries and really what what we want to do is love Jesus and the whole council. As I've mentioned, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. So I won't give up that in anything that I am working on. All right, moving on. Um, so how do I summarize that? How does God want you to serve him? Well, I know he wants you to grow in his word, and I want, I know he wants you to become more like him, and he wants you to be a fellow worker in building up the body of Christ. So find your way to serve God. Find out how he's given you, but do something. Get engaged and serve God in some way. And also look around at the people in your life and how you can influence them and point them to Jesus. That's how you can love your neighbor as yourself. All right, moving on then. <clears throat> then the Lord uh, spoke to Moses saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall observe my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that I may, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. And essentially, this, the rest of this chapter is going to be on Sabbath keeping. Um, but look at verse 16. So it says this then, So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. So interesting, on Saturday, the Jews would set aside that day to rest from their labors and to focus on God, and that'd be the day that they'd go to the synagogue as well. And it was a big deal, and it was part of the Ten Commandments. If you want to hear another teaching about the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath, you could go back and listen to the teaching on Exodus 20. And there I talk about it more, and it's come up, you know, in our journey through the Bible to date, this issue has come up before. But the church, to differentiate themselves from the Jews who met on Saturday, and largely because they got kicked out of the tabernacle, they then moved to worshiping God on Sunday, which is the first day of the week, which is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So Christians began to be identified as their main day of worship being on Sunday. But in addition to that, the Sabbath, or even a Sabbath Sunday, if you want to call it that, having a day, a complete day of rest, that law has been modified or changed and is not enforced like it was back in the Old Testament days. And in fact, this even kind of struck me today as I saw this and it said, uh, so the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath. Now, we've been grafted into God's family today, the church has, but we are not the original tribe of Israel, you know, sons of Israel. And that was a, a day for them. Now, why do I say that it's changed? Well, more than one reason. One, Jesus did many things on the Sabbath and had many conversations. And he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He had many debates and arguments with the Pharisees because they were saying he wasn't honoring the Sabbath the way that they wanted him to. But in addition, in the book of Colossians chapter 2, Paul is talking about how through Jesus now we we don't have to go through the law and that that's not the way that we follow God is by following the law anymore. If I pick it up all the way in, excuse me, uh, in chapter 2, verse 14, we'll pick it up there. Actually, I'm going to back up and I'm just going to grab a couple of verses from Colossians chapter 2. 
So look at verse 8, Colossians 2.8. I'll read it to you. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. And he's beginning to talk about how the old traditions of the Old Testament in the law, that that's not how we follow God. Listen to why I say that. So now he's talking about circumcision, which was part of the law. Uh, It was one of the, you know, the biggest things that referenced the law of the Old Testament. But listen to what he says in verse 11 of chapter 2. And in him, Jesus, capital H, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ. See, so now instead of following the law of circumcision or as a way to follow God, we would have to follow that law. Now what we do is we come to Christ. In fact, baptism is kind of like circumcision. We've talked about this before. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So uh, now listen, verse 14, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. See, the law ended up becoming hostile to us because we couldn't follow it. And we were basically under the curse of the law because the law was hard to keep. And it was against us because we were violators of the law. But he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, verse moving forward to verse 16. Now, the law consisted of a lot of rules, right? Like you wouldn't eat pork, you wouldn't eat shrimp. There were certain festivals that you were supposed to honor, and there were Sabbaths to follow. All of this was part of the law. So now Colossians 2.16. Because of all this, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regarding to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to to Christ, to Christ. See, so now instead of being judged or having those things be what makes us right with God, it's now through faith in Jesus Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. And and now it's through faith in him that we're made right by him. And it's not through the law. Now, we're supposed to still be obedient to God today, like the old people, Old Testament people were to seek to be obedient to God through the law. Now we're We're obedient to a New Testament understanding of what it means to follow God. We're obedient to Christ, but we're no longer made right through the law. We're made right through faith in Jesus Christ, and we're not judged by a Sabbath day any longer. So that's just some evidence to that. Now, you know, I wrote a paper once in a class I was taking because, you know, I think taking time to spend time with God and quieting our hearts and getting away from busyness is incredibly important, you know. And I, I, in a way, I'd say the Sabbath is every day. And as you guys know, you know, I'm, I'm one of the greatest challenges I'm trying to get people to go on is to to know the whole Bible, to read the whole Bible. And we do it over a course of three years. And, you know, every day I get up and I get in the Word of God and I do a teaching from the Word. And I found it to be just an incredible blessing to my life. So listen, having a Sabbath, a rest, a time with God 
and incorporating that into your everyday life will, it has blessed me as much as anything has ever blessed me in my entire life to spend time with God like this. So listen, God was trying to get them to quiet their hearts and spend time with him and not forget him and remember him. And that should be and is a priority today. The same thing. May we may we spend time with our Lord. May we get out of busyness and remember him and draw near to him. Hallelujah. So today we've learned the significance yet of still drawing near and quieting our hearts before our Lord and being a fellow worker in the body of Christ. And may we find our way to serve him and continue to draw near to him. God bless you all.